UK Motor Talk. Well, evening, ladies and gentlemen, or morning indeed, if it's uh, if it's early in the morning when you're listening to us. Slightly different tone to uh, to this podcast. The uh, eagle-eyed amongst you will have noticed it's not coming out at our regular time. But we all just wanted to get together and have a little chat and express our deeper sympathies for just a couple of hours ago. We heard the, uh, the sad news uh, that Murray Walker has passed away. That is uh, sad news indeed, aged 97. A, uh, a a true legend, I think. Somebody who, if you've ever just flicked over the TV and watched F1 at some point before 2001, um, then you will know who he is or you'll certainly know know his voice. That, that voice is uh, is what really marks him out and absolutely distinctive and, and uh, supremely knowledgeable, a very warm, very likeable character who knew everybody in the business. Uh, and uh, who just about everybody in the business would give of their time for interviews because he was he was just very well liked and he had been doing it an awfully long time and was pretty good at it. Well, I think it it actually cheered me up slightly because I think he he started his broadcasting career full time for Formula One in late seventies, early eighties when he was retiring and, and getting into doing it full time, and that was uh, that was just as I was being born, which kind of puts into perspective how long he was doing it for. Um, but it also kind of cheered me up because he was about sixty when he started doing that full time. So I think it just goes to show you never know what's around the corner, and something can happen in your life tomorrow which will, will change it beyond all recognition. I bet he didn't think as a forty-five, fifty-year-old advertising executive that um, he'd be still going all those years later and he'd have travelled the world and visited tens of of twenties of thirties of different countries and uh, met all these weird and wonderful and strange people and and done all that you know when when most people would be thinking right nearly retired paid the mortgage off put my feet up and and relax and he he started on a career that most young people can only dream of. I, I mean, obviously a, a man of tremendous fortitude, just to, as you say, to travel thousands and thousands of miles every year. Uh, jet lag didn't seem to bother him at all. He would broadcast from every country and uh, and uh, was quite extraordinary, the consummate professional. And I, to be honest, I've not heard anybody in, in recent years that comes anywhere near him. You know, it was the experience. I mean, he started in the in the late forties, so you know, he was only by the time most of us got to 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 know him, work with him, listen to him, he was on his sort of third career, having had a pretty impressive military career in the, the mm. latter years of the war uh, as a tank commander, mm. and uh, in in latterly then in into the uh, advertising business and very successfully there. Uh, and made himself quite a lot of money and uh, made the agencies he, he was a partner in quite a lot of money and and was really coerced by the BBC to um, to to come out of uh, that uh, second career and into a third career. But then he'd been doing it for 20 years or the best part of 20 years by then on an occasional basis. Um, so suddenly uh, the BBC is saying, look, we're, we're really ramping up our F1 coverage. You know, please come and join us, Murray. And he did, and he he, he lapped it up. Extraordinary. Well, he was at the age where he was about to get the the gold watch and the picture of a Spitfire, and told to go home and enjoy his retirement, <laughs> wasn't he? At which point he then says, "Right, I'm going to travel the world, stand in a, a an air conditioned, if you're lucky, box with someone like James Hunt, who, as we all know, can be a bit of a handful." Um, he spent many years 
<laughs> sort of fighting fighting James Hunt for use of a microphone. I mean, that's not the sort of thing most people are going to want to do when they're thinking of putting their feet up or just mowing the lawn for the rest of their life. It's uh, it's a remarkable testament to the man that he managed to keep doing that. And although it did almost come to blows with James Hunt, it never did. And I think, again, that says an awful lot about Murray Walker and the fact that, to be honest, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say a bad thing about him. He's, you know, he's one of those people. Yes, people take the the mick out of him for his Murrayisms, his many faux pas at the microphone. But that's what made Murray Murray, and nobody disliked him for it. It just endeared him to more people. As you say, I'd never heard anybody uh, have a bad word to say a, a, a about Murray, which is. Um given the length of the career that he's had, is, is quite extraordinary that he, he didn't manage to rub anybody up the wrong way, but but then he just didn't do that. You know, he was a very, very likeable character. I enjoyed every minute of the time I spent with him over the years. Well, I think he had a, a brilliant way of commentating. If if somebody had made a mistake, he'd uh, he'd never lambast them for it too much. He'd, he'd simply just point out what had happened in... in quite an enthusiastic manner as uh, as Murray had with him is I mean his 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 enthusiasm was just infectious you couldn't you know even a, a a sedentary a boring race where not a lot was going on Murray would get so excited and so worked up over certain things that it, it would just hold your attention and um, you know it was certainly very hard to fall asleep watching a race if Murray was commentating on it because just the simple act of somebody pulling into the pits would uh, would increase the volume somewhat and uh, and it would draw your attention back in but I think he said that didn't he? his job was to uh, to entertain as well as to inform but it's it's odd when I think back to various highlights of various races or some of the most memorable moments in F1 it's strange because I can hear Murray's commentary with those moments the the two are so closely interlinked mm, mm. you know uh Belgium 98 and and the start like you know the the pile up that happened just after the start um, on the exit of the first corner it I, I can just hear Murray's commentary there more or just as much as as I can see the accident unfolding or you know when Coulthard went off in uh, at Nürburgring in the wet in what was it 90 when did Herbert win? 99. And, uh, you know, Coulthard sliding off and, and in, uh, just the, the the exclamation, oh, God, Coulthard. And, and it just, you know, even if it wasn't exciting enough watching the race leader crash out of the race, Murray just increased that, that adrenaline for me even more. And, and of course, I think probably the most touching moment. And uh, he, was, he was always honest and he admitted he was a very, very big fan of Damon Hill and had a soft spot for him, you know, the, when he crossed the line to win the championship. And he said, and I've got to stop because I've got a lump in my throat. Uh, it, it put a lump in my throat as well. He was a wonderful mm. man. I mean, mm. I was l- lucky enough to meet him once, only uh, only very briefly. I think it was at um, Autosport uh, uh, International, I think, at, at Birmingham, many, 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 many years ago. He was upstairs in uh, in the mini lounge. Um, my sister was running a, a stall there, running the mini stand. And, uh, and he was just sat upstairs having a cup of tea, and I just, that's a bit random, that's Murray Walker sat over. So I just went over for a quick chat with him, you know, sort of slightly apprehensive, being a bit younger and, and not quite sure how it was going to go. And and I just, oh, hello, Murray. And he just looked up at me and just gave me the broadest smile. Hello, dear boy. And, and just, you know, instantly put you at ease, and we had a very quick chat, and he signed an autograph for me, and off I went. But, um, no, lovely man. 
Yeah, you're quite right. A lovely man, a, a, a very warm character. Anybody could uh, could chat to him. He, he, you know, he he had millions and millions of fans worldwide, uh, and he would find time for anybody. Uh, and and there was there was no sort of star ego quality about him. And I think that's what endeared him to some of the drivers because even the the most uh, uh, unwilling to be interviewed driver would always find time for Murray uh, it's, it's quite remarkable he did have the knack didn't he and I I remember just we're just looking at a picture on the zoom call here of Murray <laughs> stood under an umbrella that's being held by Graham I remember that very well standing in the doorway of our makeshift studio at the revival which was our home for many years and um, somewhere we enjoyed being and uh, I have particular memory it may even have been that year but um, he did used to come and see us in the in what we referred to as the snail orium due to the the bizarre number of snails that had taken up residence in the toilet in that in that block it was bizarre <laughs> but uh, I remember I made him a cup of tea because he was we weren't quite ready for him and he was going to do his live piece it could very well be this occasion and um yeah like you said Jim exactly the same beaming ear to ear so grateful oh lovely that's just how I like it I mean it's probably the worst cup of tea I've ever made but he was <laughs> he was very nice about it and um yeah, I mean, he was exact. What you saw was what you got with Murray Walker, and I was so pleased. They say don't meet your heroes, but on this occasion, I'm I'm more than willing to make the exception. He was certainly one of my heroes, and it would be much missed uh, personally. I was able to spend time with him. I really enjoyed the time I spent with him uh, over um, thirty years or so, um, and enjoyed every every minute of that time because he was he was so enthusiastic. And it wasn't something that he turned on when he when he was on the radio or on the TV. That was, you know, what you got with Murray was exactly that. He was full of enthusiasm for everything to do with motorsport, not just motorsport, but uh, uh, motorcycle sport as well. He was knowledgeable across all of those uh, genres, and um, he, he wanted to share that that knowledge and that enthusiasm, and he, uh, he did so uh, in admirably for such a long time. From the archive, The Goodwood Revival, 2002. Well, if ever a creature, or perhaps a person in this case, could be said to have a natural habitat, Murray Walker's natural habitat these days must be the Goodwood Revival meeting. And I'm talking to him in this splendid library that's been created this year as part of the Drivers' Club. Murray, the best-known voice in motorsport. Now, you've been involved with motorsport, well, not since the start of motorsport, but certainly since the start of Formula One, and a bit beyond that as well. How did it all begin? Well, my father was a professional racing motorcyclist. He rode in and won the TT, won all the Continental Grand Prix. He would have been world champion before the war if you'd applied the rules now to then, but there wasn't a world championship at the time. But he was one of the truly greats. So I grew up in a motorsport atmosphere and I was either going to like it or loathe it because my father did it and I loved it. And when I was in the army during the war in a tank regiment, and when I came out of the army in 1947, I went into the advertising business and I started racing motorcycles, I think in an effort to emulate and ideally be better than my father. But there was no way I was going to be better than him. And I wasn't good enough to satisfy myself. I, was, I wasn't too bad, to be quite honest. I won a gold medal in the International Six Days Trial in 1949. Uh, I won a first-class award in the Scottish Six Days Trial. But uh, I knew I wasn't going to go to the top, 
And so you know what they say, those that can do and those that can't talk about it. Uh, I wanted to talk about it. My father had become a BBC commentator on motorcycle racing. I think a lot of my life was actually guided and motivated and inspired by my dad because he was a wonderful man and I loved him dearly. And if I could have been half as good as him at anything, I would have been delighted. So I was really following in his, in his footsteps and I started broadcasting in 1949. I got an audition with the BBC here at Goodwood, funnily enough. So that was a long, long time ago. Do you remember that first commentary job? Does there anything come back to you from that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, the, 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 literally the first commentary of any kind I did was at Shelsley Walsh Hill Climb in 1948. And uh, it was as a result of that that I got the audition at Goodwood with the BBC. And I came down here, and of course it was just after the war, things were very different then. And there were two uh, builders, Joe and Fred Ashmore, who are very wealthy chaps. And they bought themselves a brace of four CLT Maseratis, which was the correct wear for motor racing in those days if you had a great deal of money and it was a sort of Formula One car, although Formula One hadn't existed yet. yet. And they also bought another one for Reg Parnell. And Reg Parnell was going to be their guide, tutor and mentor. And I came down to Goodwood and this was in the days when recording, unlike what you're doing now, was done on a wax disc. You spoke into a microphone and the words down, went down to a needle that cut grooves in a wax disc. So that's what I did. I did, did a couple of races on the Ashmore Brothers and Reg Parnell. The BBC liked it. And uh, that's where it all began because two weeks... I know, I did the British Grand Prix in 1949, which was won by Baron Tulo de Graffenried. And then I got into motorcycles and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, you have had that very, very long career with the BBC. Uh, there are many quotes that you've uh, come up with over the years, but one of the things I'm sure you're remembered for most of all is this encyclopedic memory. Well, I think you tend to have a mem good memory for things you're interested in. I haven't got a terribly good memory for things I'm not interested in. Uh, but don't forget that I've done a lot of books, I've done on videos, I've done umpteen programs, and all that sort of uh, brands it onto your mind. And, and my wife always says, if it hasn't got an engine, he's not interested. And I spend all my time reading about motorsport, and talking to people in motorsport, and thinking and eating and breathing motorsport. So it, it's perhaps not so much memory as interest. Now, we talked about that long BBC career, but you did then switch to ITV as they won the rights to the Formula One season. Was that a, a difficult transition for you? Well, no, it was, it was a very easy and a very welcome and a totally unexpected transition because, first of all, I hadn't got the remotest idea in 1995 that the BBC was about to lose the franchise because ITV had got sick of losing all their Sunday audience to the BBC while the BBC were doing Grand Prix racing and put in a terrific bid to Bernie Ecclestone who accepted it, so ITV got it. Uh, and I spent the whole of 1996 
knowing that I was going to go to ITV, but I wasn't allowed to tell anybody. I was sworn to secrecy. So people were speculating about my future because I'd been with the BBC for 48 years. And people were saying, what are you going to be doing, Murray? And I was saying, oh, I was having to say, oh, I don't know, something will turn up, I hope, when I knew perfectly well I was going to ITV. But ITV was absolutely marvellous as far as I was concerned because with absolutely no disrespect to the BBC, who did a magnificent job, ITV were prepared to spend more money, put more good people on it, provide better facilities, give more programme time. And the result was, I went from something that was very good indeed to something that is absolutely superb because the ITV coverage of Grand Prix racing is the best in the world. It really is. And you formed there uh, yet another commentary partnership with Martin Brundle. You've had some very, very strong commentary partnerships over those years. Yeah, I've had so many. I mean, I've talked with Sterling Moss, Graham Hill, Mike Halewood, all sorts of people. But my long-term ones, of course, were James Hunt that I was with for 13 years. And then I had three years with Jonathan Palmer. And when RTV took over, they asked Martin Brundle to work with me. And it was a very, very happy partnership. In fact, the best partnership I ever had, with no disrespect to the others, because Martin is that very rare individual. He's a, a top sportsman who can talk knowledgeably, authoritatively and entertainingly ab about that which he did so well. I mean, he was in eight Grand Prix teams and he won the World Championship of Sports Cars, he won Le Mans. But he's a lot more than that. He's a very nice person and he's got a very well-developed sense of humour. And the chemistry in the box, which had been very good with James and I, in spite of the fact that James and I were not natural blood brothers, I was old enough to be his father, and, but Martin and I clicked right from the beginning and it really was a joy to work with him. Now, aside from those uh, very strong partnerships you've had, you've been involved in the careers of some of the greatest British drivers of anybody's memory, the ones that stand out for you, not necessarily the, the best, but which ones really stand out for you? Well, you, you tend to remember the best because they were also your friends if they were British, particularly in my case, Nigel Mansell, world champion in 1992, who gave me one of the highlights of my broadcasting career when he clinched the championship at the Hungarian Grand Prix. And then, of course, Damon Hill, who undoubtedly gave me the most emotional moment of my broadcasting life when he won the World Championship by winning the Japanese Grand Prix in 1996. Uh, those were two of the highlights and two of the people I was proud particularly to have been associated with. But uh, Sterling Moss, Fangio, Jim Clark, not, not Jim Clark, except from the point of view of watching him, because I was doing motorcycles then, you have to remember that an awful lot of my broadcasting career was to do with bikes. And uh, I knew people very well like Jeff Duke and Mike Halewood, two of the greatest of all time. Murray, we've talked about the length of that career. That must have been very, very difficult to distill into the book. Well, I, I mean, I, I didn't stop commentating because I wanted to. I stopped because I thought I ought to. I'd been doing it for 52 years, which is a heck of a long time. 
and age withers and it's going to wither me and what I wanted to do was stop while I was ahead and when hopefully people were saying don't stop rather than having them think I was past it and then glad I had stopped and it's difficult to get the timing right um, I may have stopped a bit too soon because I know I could have gone on for two or three years at least but I'd rather stop too soon than too late and all of last year and before I was having people say are you going to write your autobiography and to be honest it wasn't in my mind to do it but I had so many people asking that I thought I'd like to have a stab at it and it's taken me about a year to do it it's been hard work but it's been very enjoyable work because I've actually got a lot to say I mean as you've just heard I think I had an enjoyable childhood I had a very exciting time in the army I had a proper job in the advertising business from 1947 until 1982 and when broadcasting and commentary was just a hobby uh, and I've put it all in the book and it, it's come out it's come out very well I'm, I'm very pleased with it I had a very good editor and together we I think we've done a, a half reasonable job and I'm, I'm glad to say it seems to be selling very well indeed I've sold I've signed close on 2,000 copies in the last three days so uh, I hope I'll be able to keep it up <laughs> So for a man we uh, might have thought might have been slowing down a little bit you've got a punishing schedule Yes I have but I keep on saying to people uh, I haven't retired from life, I've just retired from commentary and yeah, uh, Harper Collins, who are publishing the book have given me a three and a half month non-stop schedule to promote the book and I'm going all around Australia I'm going all around New Zealand which I'm really looking forward to because I've never been there before and have always wanted to go there uh, I'm going to the American Grand Prix and doing a lot of stuff in America um, and uh, in, including the David Letterman show which I'm looking forward to and then I'm doing the whole of the UK from Glasgow and um, Edinburgh right, right down to Cornwall and if there's a bookshop near you, I'll be at it. <laughs> well, we'll look out for that. All the local stations, I'm sure, will be looking out for your appearances. Thank you very much, Murray Walker. I hope you have a very enjoyable weekend. And I would wish you an enjoyable retirement, but I know it isn't. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm enjoying it so far, and I shall endeavour to keep it up. And thank you very much for your good wishes. It's nice. Thank you very much. Well, I think the, uh, over the last couple of years we've uh, we've been unfortunate enough to lose a uh, a couple of, uh, of world class drivers and, and of course quite recently Sir Sterling. But if uh, if every time a, a famous racing driver passes away, we always say the great racetrack in the sky just got a little bit quicker and a little bit more exciting. Well, the uh, the commentary for it just got a little bit better, didn't it?